This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, winners? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 79. Today is Tuesday, December 18th, 2018. Exactly one week away from Christmas. Santa Claus is coming to town, boys and girls. Well, maybe for some of you anyway. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined by Half Hour Hockey Show co-host, Kevin Snow. Kevin, along with his co-host, Kevin Sylvester, are doing a really outstanding job with the Half Hour Hockey Show. They've had Danny Breer on recently. Just yesterday on Monday, they had Richard Deitch. Great hockey show, especially for Sabre fans. I talked to Kevin about how that podcast came to be, the setup they have, and the process that they do their podcast. Then, of course, I talked mainly Buffalo Sabres hockey. I mean, Kevin did work for the Buffalo Sabres for nine years, and that's what he does. He's a hockey writer. I get his insight on the team which, by the way, just continues to impress the shit out of everyone this season. They're like 10 points entrenched into a playoff spot through 34 games, which, if you've been following the Sabres in recent years, it's just completely freaking mind-blowing. It's crazy the improvement that they've had this year. I get Kevin's take on a few players, especially Jeff Skinner. And by the way, you're really going to like the Sabre fans. He has a comparison between... Jeff Skinner and Evander Kane that I just know you're going to want to hear. Before I get out of there with Kevin, I also talked to him about a book that he had published last year, written about Ronda Rousey, who to me anyway, is one of the more polarizing athletes, male or female, that I've ever seen in my life. Kevin talks about Ronda, and since we're both big wrestling fans, we talk a little bit about her current run with WWE, which, I mean, look, if you're a wrestling fan, you already know what I'm saying. Not good lately. Quite terrible, in fact. But the women have been carrying that company on their back. And that especially includes Ronda Rousey. She's been incredible. So good interview with Kevin. And immediately after that, I got my man Michael Nietzsche back for an installment of Nietzsche Nails It. This is actually Mike's third consecutive Tuesday on the podcast to chat with me. But it's the first time I decided to put a name to the segment. Nietzsche Nails It. Got a nice ring to it. I like it. We're talking Buffalo Bills. We hit on as many things as possible before ultimately turning our attention to Josh Allen, which always happens. Of course it does. He had another one of those games on Sunday where, I don't know, man, I feel like if you're a pro Josh Allen guy, you got every reason in the world to be more optimistic. If you're a Josh Allen hater, well, I guess he gave you reasons to hate on him as well. I don't know. To each their own, I guess. But anyway, we talk about the Bills. We also go through a plethora. I like saying that word, by the way. A plethora of topics. And Mike scores them on his brand new Nietzsche interest scale. All that and much more. Between the two interviews, got a pretty packed episode. And I don't have anything specifically that I'm looking to plug her at the top. So I'm not going to waste any of your time. Let's just get right down to it. Here's my chat with Kevin Snow of the Half Hour Hockey Show, followed by Nietzsche Nails It. Top shelf where Mama hides the cookie! My guest today is co-host of the Half Hour Hockey Podcast, along with Buffalo Sports Media mainstay Kevin Sylvester. 
He's also a freelance writer, has authored a book on Ronda Rousey called Conquering New Ground, and he spent over nine years working in the Buffalo Sabres media department. I'm talking about Kevin Snow. What's up, Kevin? How you doing, man? Pat, I'm awesome. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm a big fan of your podcast, and you know, I, I think you're stooping a little low today to bring me on, but I really appreciate you having me on. <laughs> That's not true, man. I've been looking forward to having you on for quite a while. I'm a big fan of the podcast that you and Kevin do, and that's kind of where I want to start because I'm a podcasting guy. I love podcasts. Tell me how the Half Hour Hockey Podcast came together, how you and Kevin decided, you know what, let's do this. How did that all come together? I was back in uh, probably December, November, December of 2016, and uh, Chris Baker and I were actually the ones who kind of started off talking about it and just kind of looking for a way to get out there again. And, you know, we, Chris and I were both doing some writing. He had his own website with SabresProspects.com. And I was looking for a different avenue to try and get back in the media a little bit and just do something different. And we had talked back and forth about it, but the two of us didn't really have a ton of experience in the podcast field. And one day I kind of reached out to Kevin Sylvester on a whim and just said, Hey, kind of curious to know what, what kind of equipment would we be get, looking to get if we we're going to get a podcast going? And he said, well, I've got everything here. He goes, well, I'll help you out. So went from Chris and I to, to uh, adding Kevin to the mix too. And one day we went down, uh, I think it was in December of uh, 16, went down to Coulter Bay in Buffalo. The three of us just sat down, hashed out some things, came up with a name for the podcast, talked about the format of the podcast and how we wanted to keep it fairly short and kind of went from there. And then we debuted it right after in the new year of uh, 2017. Now you guys are in your second season, your podcast, you guys like to do it by seasons on your last show. I'll tell you what, man, you had one of my favorite Buffalo Sabres players of all time. And I'm sure many Sabre fans feel the same way. I'm talking about Danny Breer. For those who didn't catch it, how's Danny doing? What's he up to? And I would imagine, and I don't care who you are, having a guy like Danny Breer on, that's a good get. That's a fun get. Yeah, I was when I worked with the Sabres, and I was in the PR department from 2005 to 2011 before I went over the website. And for those two years that Danny was with the organization, he was fantastic. Just a really down-to-earth guy. Always had time for me. Just I'd see him in the hallway. We'd just talk and just kind of shoot the shit about whatever. And Just really good guy. Just a family guy. I had three kids. And, you know, just we, when Kevin and I talked this year about people we wanted to get in the show, Danny was one of the guys really at the top of our list. And amazingly enough, it was a really easy get to get him on the show because it turns he, Danny's now working. He's the uh, assistant general, or the general manager, actually, of the Portland Pirates of the ECHL. He had spent some time working with the Flyers and the management side, and they had purchased an ECHL team, and they're actually affiliated with the Rangers, not the Flyers now, because it's a Comcast situation. But Danny now runs the day-to-day operations, and he's telling us it's everything from marketing to tickets to promotions and really, really interesting backstory and from a guy who played his entire career in the NHL after coming out of major junior and really didn't have any aspirations of a front office job. So being able to get Danny on was fantastic. And like I said, it was a really, it was an interesting way we got, I basically contacted the ECHL team, their, their PR guy who it turns out went to Oswego was a huge Sabres fan and had followed Kevin Sylvester's career for a long time. So that, that actually came about, that took me 15 minutes to organize that as opposed to, as you've probably gone through some, the back and forth, getting a guest in the podcast. Sometimes it takes two hours. It takes two weeks. And oh, yeah. it's a real easy get. And Danny was fantastic. And actually, the funny part was we were supposed to have him on at 1230. He was supposed to call into us. And by about 1245, he hadn't called. So I reached out quickly to the PR guy and said, hey, did Danny forget? Within two minutes, Danny calls us. And he must have apologized five times before we started the podcast. And then even texted me later apologizing again, which just shows you what kind of guy Danny is. Cause some people, they call half an hour late and they, they could care less if they call late, but that just, Danny's a great guy. It was a lot of fun to have him on the show. Props to you guys again on getting Danny Breer on your show. I think that's a really good get. I listened to the interview. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Feels to me and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like his heart is still at least a nice big part of it is definitely still in Buffalo. Oh, absolutely, and it's, it was um, interesting at the start of the call when and getting Kevin opened with it on the on the show. Danny's phone, cell phone number is still seven one six. Yeah, so he he's bounced around from Philadelphia, Montreal, Colorado, even before Buffalo. He came from uh, Phoenix, so you never know what what he would have as a cell phone and why he still has seven one six thirteen years later. It's pretty ironic, but you know he's he's a guy who's he had roots here. His kid his kids were 
he, his kids came here with him, but they played local youth hockey here. They made friends here. Danny made a lot of business acquaintances here. I, I've got some friends who know Danny very well. And he, he really, in those three, four years he was here, really put down roots. And, you know, I was talking to somebody recently, and I'm always the kind of person that says, you know, I, I've always been on the fence about Pat LaFontaine having his jersey retired in Buffalo. And just, just the, but Danny Breer, to me, is in a very similar vein. He didn't put up the points, but Danny really left a mark in this city, and more, I think more so than, than Chris Drury, and at a very important time in the franchise. And for that reason alone, I think fans are just always going to be drawn to him, and they're always going to love Danny. Yeah, I agree. Now, you're a writer by trade. What do you prefer, writing or talking slash podcasting, whatever you want to call it? If you have your choice, what, what is more in your element? What do you enjoy doing more? Oh, hands down writing. It's the, the, the podcasting, broadcasting, whatever you want to call it thing to me is just something that's kind of come up in the last 10 or so years. Um, I used to make some appearances when uh, Kevin hosted the uh, Sabres hotline show that was on WGR and the predecessor of the um, instigator show. And Kevin would have me on a few times. And I remember the first few times he'd, he'd, he'd would come to my desk and say, Hey, come on, we're going to talk about something you wrote on the website today for sabers.com. And I was nervous, like, like you wouldn't believe and just getting in front of a microphone, knowing it was live and trying not to swear, which I can do in a podcast, but you can't do in live radio. <laughs> right. <laughs> Little things like that, where it's just, it, it, it's not something I've ever been trained in. It's just something I've just kind of, you know, fallen into in a way. And it's, I, I, I like the writing process more in terms of being able to sit down Re- doing the, doing the research, not not to say I don't research before a podcast. I actually do pretty extensive research for most guests, but the research, the background, being able to take the time to craft a story, whether it's five hundred words, ten thousand words, thousand words, whatever, and just I and like I'm actually explaining to my daughter now, who's in uh, a junior in high school, the writing process is a lot more difficult because you've got a, in some cases a word limit character counts, whatever you want to call it. And it's just being able to train yourself to write in that, that format. It's just, it, it takes, it's a lot of skill. It's something I went to college for. And it's something I really enjoy doing. And it's just, I guess it's even going back to high school, it's just the one thing that I really enjoy doing for my entire life. And just being able to do it in different ways has been really enjoyable. How long did it take you to get comfortable with podcasting or, you know, or when you do interviews on radio shows and stuff like that, hearing your own voice as opposed to writing like, I'm sure you're very confident in your writing. You know you are a good writer, and you know that you're a good writer. You could put together, you could pen together a great story or anything like that. Podcasting or, you know, doing radio stuff, that's kind of different. And I feel like it's a process that you get comfortable hearing your own voice and just feeling good about, you know, the way you're presenting yourself. I mean, when I, I'm about, what, 78, 79 episodes into this, I was shitting myself the first couple times I was on the air. I thought this was going to be easy. You know, you hit a tape recorder. You're by yourself, you're talking to a microphone, you don't have an audience in front of you or anything like that, or you make a phone call to somebody, a media person, an athlete, whatever. Seems easy enough on the surface, but when it comes down to it, not quite that easy. It, it takes a little bit of while, it takes a little while to get comfortable. At least it did for me. Is that kind of the same for you? Oh, absolutely. It's the one I, I can't stand hearing my voice on, on a tape. Or I, I will listen to the podcast afterwards and I'm extremely critical of myself. Yeah. Me too. Whether it's the way, whether it's the way I, I think I sound different, um, the, the tone of my voice, inflections when I ask questions. Because even though this is a hobby in a sense, it's what we're, you know, we wouldn't necessarily call it a hobby, but it's not something we do professionally. And, but I want to treat it that way. I want to be, taken seriously when I do this. And when I, when I have a guest on, I don't want them to think it's just two guys in a basement, which honestly, it's two guys in a basement. We report, record that podcast because we're at Kevin's house. <laughs> so it's just, it's just one of those situations where I want someone to leave that podcast thinking that they were just on a national radio show. They were on a, a, a local a WGR type of thing. It's, it, it's, it's a, a podcast, but we still want to be treated as a professional avenue. And it's just, it's, my the one thing I do struggle with sometimes is I'll have a question in my head. And this is where the writing versus uh, broadcasting thing comes. I can ask a question when I'm interviewing somebody when I'm writing, and I could stumble through it all I want because at the end of the day, all I'm, I, I want to get the good quote out. But when you're presenting yourself on a on a, a media media uh, audio situation, when I stumble through a question, it drives me nuts. And yeah. I know I know when I'm doing it. And Kevin will look at me sometimes, kind of like like almost like, do you want me to pick you up here and help you out? And I'm like. You, that's your, then you're, you've got that that dynamic going on where you're looking at somebody and they're just talking back and forth and it's little things like that that frustrate me. So that, that's the one thing that drives me crazy about the podcasting. But like I said, we 
we do try and take it seriously. And the, you've probably gone through this too. The one thing that I take as a real compliment, whether it's when I'm writing or as a podcast, is when someone says, that's a great question. And they pause because you know that you've just asked them something that, that makes them think. Sure. And it's not your standard. So tell me about your career. It's, you know, you're making them think a little. And you're, they're, at the time, I think they're giving you a little more respect than they may have at the start of the show. Sure, I completely agree. And you know, it's funny. You've mentioned basement with a podcast and automatically think, well, you know, that's kind of stupid. But you guys, Half Hour Hockey Podcast sounds extremely professional. To me, it's radio quality. And maybe to some people, it doesn't matter. To me, that matters a ton. I care, if nothing else, I care about the audio and the presentation of this podcast at the end of the day. There's a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm not trying to be critical of any of them because some of them, I'm talking locally, are really good. But there's also some out there, man. It, they're hard to listen to. You know what I mean? Uh, the audio, the quality is just horrible. They don't, I don't know what kind of microphone, if they're even using a microphone or anything like that. I feel like if you're going to put something out for the world to consume, if nothing else, <laughs> you know what I mean? At least have it sound professional. So you guys, I mean, one of the best I've heard. And I'm sure Kevin Sylvester, he's been around for so long and been involved in so many things. He doesn't want to put something out where it's going to sound like garbage either. No, first off, I appreciate the compliment. It's very nice of you. But yeah, it's definitely um, the situation we put it, like I said at the start of it, we didn't want to do this just to have a couple microphones and two guys talking and maybe it's the, the hookup for the guests to call in. We will, Kevin takes this very seriously in terms of the setup and of the studio. And actually, for anyone who's, who saw the old studio that was in the Sabre store when Kevin did Hockey Hotline, that's what the, we have that table in this, in this studio in the basement. Oh, wow. And he's got profe- professional microphones, the audio mixing equipment, everything is there. And we really put a lot of care and effort into it. And um, it's just it's one of those things where if we're, we, we said to start, if we're going to do this, we're doing it right. And we want to make it sound right because... I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the, some of the quality of podcasts, whether it's some local ones, whether it's people I've heard. Like you, see, you see on Twitter now, it seems like everyone's got a podcast, and they'll say, hey, check out my 20-minute discussion about the Sabres defense, and you listen to it, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't make it through five minutes of this because yeah. they, they do it in their house with a couple guys with a crappy microphone. My favorite ones are the ones that say, hey, we're on remote, we're on site at Chili's now, and we're gonna, and you've got the background noise and everything else. <laughs> they, they're trying to make it sound cool that they're in a bar and everything. It's just no. It's if you're going to do it, you've got to take it seriously. Get the right equipment, if if possible, if you can afford the the mic, the good microphones, the mixing, and like, I I would love to get to the to the level of a couple of the podcasts I really really like are the uh, the ones that come out of Sportsnet in Canada. It's the Thirty One Thoughts with uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, and Dan Shulman's got a great one. It's a swinging a belt. It's a really baseball focused podcast, and they've got a producer in that show. I've People, you see people complimenting him on Twitter all the time, and they talk about the producer. They mix in when they'll they'll talk about, like when we talked about Danny Breer's goal against the Flyers in the playoffs. They'll they'll then bring in the audio of that goal, like just kind of things they can do because they own those that, that the clips, things like that. But you, you can really take it to another level with a podcast, just really make it sound professional, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I hear you. Listen, man, I could talk about podcasting all day. I love it. But I feel like after a while, fans may start to get bored. You are a hockey guy. I got you on. So we got to talk hockey, more specifically the Sabres. You've been around this dark stretch of Buffalo Sabres hockey. And it seems like it's lasted forever. Certainly a different story this year. Buffalo's put together 45 points in just 34 games. And they very, very much look like a team that'll be playing in the postseason. At least as of right now, they look that way anyway. I'm sure you expected some improvement from last year, but did you expect this much improvement right now? No, not even close. I, I was when we did our first show of the year. Kevin and I talked about our predictions, and I said if they got to about, because I think I think we targeted somewhere like the mid 90s would have been the point range they would have had to get to based on last year's playoffs, and the improvement to get there would have been I think for the Sabers in the neighborhood of like 15 to 20 extra more wins and. I just didn't see that with this team. And to be honest, I'm still not 100% sold because I don't know if they've got the forward depth in terms of scoring. It's, I love watching Jack Eichel, Skinner, and Reinhardt play, but you need more. Like there's, there was a really high expectation from Casey Middlestat to produce points, and he is now, and not to the extent that he, is, he should be, but he's still 21 years old. And it's a really high expectation a kid to step into an offensive role. He's two years out of high school, I think it was. And the guys like Tage Thompson and 
you know, these are kids who may be two years away and people talk about, Oh, this is, this reminds me of the Oh five, six Sabres team. And we talked to Danny about this last week and when he's on the, on the podcast and I, the excitement level, sure. The, the, they're, they're exceeding where people thought they were going to be at the start of the year, which is great. And it's, you know, the city's buzzing about it and the games are, I'm actually watching full games. I can make it through a game now and say, yeah, that was a good hockey game. Yeah. Especially after yeah. the, Boston, the Boston game, there's, there's plays in games where I walk away thinking, Holy crap. Sabres players are making these these plays now because I used to watch games in the past and then I'd watch the Sabres game and then I'd turn over and watch a game at 10 o'clock and I'm thinking, why can't this be what I just watched on Buffalo? Because I'm watching the Sabres games that are 2-1, to one, like one nothing going to the third period, 0-0 zero, zero after two periods, and no sense of, no hint of offense. And now you've got Darlene on defense. They're getting goaltending finally. You're seeing the defense, which is kind of shaky with the injuries, but there's there's potential back there. And like I said, the only thing I think holding this team back is going to be the depth on forward because there's they as we saw a couple weeks ago when they weren't getting secondary scoring from anyone else not named Skinner, Eichel, or Reinhardt, they weren't winning, and that's what I think it ultimately could hold this team back, which is why I'm not 100 percent sold in them being a playoff team, but excitement level wise, like I'm I'm looking forward to watching Sabres Florida tomorrow, which I never would have looked forward to two years ago. I would have been like, okay, what else can I do on Tuesday night? What 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 else is on TV? But this team's fun again, and it's it's good for the city, and it's exciting to watch. It is, and Jack Eichel's developing into that superstar that everyone hoped that he would become. You know, as the franchise player, he had a four point evening in Boston Sunday. As of Monday, we're taping this on Monday. He's tied for seventh in the league in points, fifth in the league in assists. He truly has become not just a player to get excited about, but he's becoming a player that you really can build a team around. And we're seeing it with our very eyes. He's becoming one of the better players in the NHL right now. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And if you think about it, too, the bulk of his points are coming off assists, which I would never have thought. Jack Eichel, to me, is a goal scorer. When he started off quickly this year, I'm thinking, okay, maybe we're going to get a 50-goal scorer this year. And when we had John Buchagras on the show a few weeks ago, he said, don't worry about Jack Eichel. He scores in spurts. And we haven't really been able to see that, the consistent scoring from Jack, because of his injuries over the last couple of years. And but you watch the plays; those two passes he made to Skinner on the on the Boston game, the behind the back, Tuukka Rask isn't even moving, and the puck's going out from the side that Eichel just came in from. And the look in his face, like the first one, you see Skinner's face, like just pointing at him. But after a while, you're thinking, okay, this is this looks like these these are being done on purpose. These these guys are they're planning these things out almost. And there's more of a the skill level is coming out, but not just a, the high skill level. This is superstar skill we're watching in Buffalo, something we haven't seen in a long time. And now we're seeing it with with with, uh, with Eichel and how the you know, Skinner's fitting in. I'm finally seeing consistency from Reinhardt, which I've been dying, waiting to see for three years. And the the, the biggest treat of all is watching Rasmus Dahlin fit in this whole mix because this kid has come as advertised, and it's 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 exciting to think that this is his first year, so we don't even know what this kid can become. He's becoming more comfortable every game, isn't he? I mean, he's had moments from game one, but it seems like he's starting to play a lot more consistent now with each passing game as well. He's he he definitely looks the part out there. That's for sure. Yeah, I watched him at the, the first time I really got to watch him consistently was at the World Juniors in Buffalo last year. And there's times I watched him and I'm thinking, okay, well, he's pretty good. I'm, I'm always hesitant to to judge talent at the junior level because of the, the the quality of player you're playing against. But when you see you saw the clips of him, some of the stud clips from before the draft and at the draft lottery, and you're thinking, wow, this kid's really good. Suddenly, I'm watching preseason games in the start of the year, and he's making those same plays. So the confidence was was evident early, and I was watching the few times early on the season when he would he would move like at the top of the circle or from the blue line to the top of the circle, just pivoting around, just effortlessly moving. And the players, I think he was confusing some of the Sabres players. I remember there's an instance one with uh, him and Kyle Oposo. And they almost ran into each other. But then three games later, Oposo knew exactly where this kid was going, got in position, and they scored, a goal came out of it. I think Oposo scored a goal. It might have been the overtime goal. But it's one of those things where not only is he getting comfortable, the players are getting comfortable with him. Because in a lot of cases, there's, these guys haven't played with a kid this talented in so long. And again, he's a kid. He's 18 years old. And the sky is the limit for this, for this kid. And everyone talked about the comparisons to Eric Carlson at the start, maybe just because he was Swedish. But this is – I. I just can't even imagine what this kid's going to be like in two years, let alone five, ten years. And, you know, if, he's, if he can avoid injuries, this is going to be a really special player that we've got in our hands. Now, Jeff Skinner scored twice Sunday in Boston 
already has his goal total up to 24, which matched what he had all of last season in Carolina. Just 13 goals off his career high that he sent with Carolina two years ago, 37 goals. That seems very reachable. In fact, it almost seems like it's a lock for him to surpass that this year, as long as he can stay healthy. It goes without saying, Jason Botterill will try to lock this guy up soon. Now, I know it's a little premature, but it's not that premature to start talking Jeff Skinner contract extension now. What kind of contract do you think is going to take from Botterill to get a type of deal that's going to keep Skinner here for a long time? What's it going to take to get that done? It's hard to say. And like from watching him now, I the more I see him play with Jack Eichel and the chemistry those two have built, I think it will be easier to sign him because I think Jeff Skinner finally realizes that he's got somebody he can play with and can, he can score with. I don't, I don't think this is just a case of a player being in a contract year right now. I think this is just two guys who've developed intense chemistry. And I think Skinner is going to realize that pretty quickly if he hasn't already. And, you know, some players, they just, they, it's the contract year. And, you know, for some guys, this, this may be the, the only crack Jeff Skinner has at the open market. And he may want to go out there and see if he can get eight, nine, ten million, which, a few weeks ago, I might have thought might have been a bit of a stretch because, especially when Skinner when he, when he had a slide a couple or last week or so, he went a few games on the goal. He looked a little frustrated, but you see he can turn it back on again. But it's because of Eichel that this is happening, and I think maybe if if you're looking, you know, if he wants that payday, he may be asking for six years. I think the term is going to be what the what the issue is going to be. I don't think money is going to be the problem. It's the term. Does, does he want to lock himself up for six years, seven years? I think 10 is a bit of a stretch. I think if you can get him in for the six years, kind of 48 to $50 million range, I think that's totally doable because I think Jeff Skinner, like I, I talked about this in the podcast one day, the longer he stays here and continues to develop chemistry, and you see this kid smiling on the ice, he loves being with his team. He loves the guys. And he's only two hours from his home in Toronto. And, you know, you, a lot of people don't, they take it for granted. These, these are NHL players. And, you know, he talked about a couple of weeks ago about how his family never used to get to come down and see him in Carolina. When they, when they did, it would be for a week or two at a time, and they'd have to come watch him for a few games and go home. Now they can go back and forth. If he wants to, he can go up to Toronto. I know he's a big Blue Jays fan. He's, like, it means a lot to these guys to be close to home. And he, he, he realizes he's not going to play for the Maple Leafs. So they've got their own cap issues, and he's not going home. So this may be the closest thing for him. So I think, I think Jeff Skinner is going to sign. I, I think he will sign before the season ends because I don't think he wants to get it to July 1st. Just, I just, it's, it's hard to say. It's one of those things where you watch a guy's face during a game and this isn't a guy, this isn't a Vander Kane. This is not a Vander Kane in a contract year who would pout at times and just look, taking meaningless shots. Jeff Skinner fits in more with this team than Kane did. And I think that alone, I think will be a very, make this negotiation a lot easier to deal with for Botterill, who's a very smart guy. And I, I think, Skinner staying here, I think, to me, is a given at this point. Last Sabres question, and I agree with you, by the way. Because of how great Eichel's been and a lot of the other young guys on this team that you get excited about, you mentioned it earlier briefly, though. Is the goaltending going way under the radar? Because Hutton and Allmark, I think, are showing that they could compete with anyone in the NHL. We're talking about all these good young players, not talking enough about the good goaltending they're getting. I think it's made a big difference this year so far. Yeah, the confidence level in the team is—it's it, obvious. You, you're playing in a two-to-one game with Boston, and you've got Linus Allmark in there making save, the saves he was making in that game on Sunday. It, it means a lot to the guys, and they didn't have that in the past. And you know, last year with, with Robin Leonard, you'd, he'd give up a, a really bad goal early, whether he wasn't sealing off a post, he's at a position, whatever you want to call it, and then or they'd get to a shootout, and it was almost a given that whether you know Leonard obviously had his own issues he was dealing with, but. You know, from an on ice standpoint, he was he was pretty bad last year and the year before, and you know that was just that was a Tim Murray deal where he brought in this guy that he that he wanted to bring in, and whether it was just arrogance or whatever you want to call it, he just wouldn't let it go. And it, that and there's a lot of times you'd watch a game last year and you'd see the team would deflate when Leonard would let in a bad goal. Whereas this year, Allmark makes a big save, Hutton makes a big save, Hutton's making plays behind the net. He's the, he's the third defenseman back there. The way he plays the puck and. You know, the, it just adds a, a level of confidence to your team in general, whether it's the forwards, the defense, knowing they don't have to stop everything that comes. They, they can like a, a guy can slip by them, and the goalie might make the save. Whereas last year, you know, Bogosian might have a guy go beat beat him to the outside, and he's thinking, "Oh crap, they're going to score the they're going to score on, the, on Leonard now." But it's not there the way it is, and this this team needed this, and I honestly didn't expect this from Allmark at all. I hadn't, hadn't seen him play a whole lot in the minors. I know his numbers were really good in Rochester. 
But for him to step in like this and be as strong as he is and not playing as much, and, you know, you're going to – I didn't know if it was, was going to be a 50-50 split or 60-40, but the way they're using Allmark now is perfect because I think Hutton is mature enough to handle it. And Allmark did show that when Hutton was hurt, he could handle playing two or three games in a row. And even though they, were, they lost a couple of those games, he still kept them in and they weren't, they weren't losing because of him. Before I let you out of here, I got to hit on this because she's one of the most polarizing athletes that I've ever seen. I absolutely love her. 2017, you had a book about Ronda Rousey published called Conquering New Ground. What was the inspiration for that book? I got to know about this. Actually, it was, um, it was part of a series with uh, Cavendish Square Public- Publishing. Uh, Conquering New Ground, it was uh, a series, it was called At the Top of Their Game, and they had uh, several athletes they chose. And she was one of them, and I'm just trying to, the other ones in the group were LeBron James, Cam Newton, Danica Patrick, Christian Ronaldo, uh, Ichiro, and uh, Serena Williams. And Rhonda was one of the people, one of the subjects they had. And I was contacted by someone at the, at the publishing company and said, listen, we've got a couple of books here, a couple of titles we're working on. I want to know if you'd be interested in writing one of them. And my choices were Cam Newton or Rhonda Rousey. And I obviously, you know, me not being a huge NFL guy, I knew of Cam Newton, but didn't really have a desire to care about. I didn't have that much interest in his backstory. Whereas I've got a WWE background that dates back to when I worked at TV Guide in Toronto back in the late '90s. I was kind of I brought wrestling back on the cover of the magazine there, used to interview wrestlers all the time, and uh, really kind of got me back into it because I was a big wrestling fan as a kid. And you know, I was interviewing guys like Mick Foley and and The Rock and uh, Edge and Christian and uh, Triple H even Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit, people like that. And we, I, I, I got, I think I got three cover stories over the span of about three or four years. I convinced the publishers to let us bring it back. And knowing what Rhonda means, what she meant to her winning the Olympic medals. And, but it was, it was more than that. It was her climb to where she got to where she was. And that really kind of really piqued my interest in terms of, having her be the subject of the book or writing that book. And it was really fascinating to write because she's just the kind of person that people don't realize that, you know, the work that goes into winning an Olympic medal and just in general, and the stuff that she went through in terms of just the bulimia and things like that. And just the crap she dealt with moving away from home and the death of her father. And a lot of things happened to her early on and to see what she overcame like when I was first researching the book, do you see certain things like, okay, this is different. But then as she grew in stature, when she got into the, into UFC and became such a star in UFC and how she convinced Dana White to make her that star and how he basically took her and rode her for a couple of years in terms of making her, making her the, the marquee athlete in the UFC and just what, but what she did with it along the way in terms of the things that she suffered with as a kid in terms of, body image and stuff like that. She then turned that into positive and created a clothing line for girls, for muscular girls who couldn't fit into clothes. The things that she struggled with as a kid, whereas as a teenager, she would wear hoodies all the time because she was embarrassed by the way she looked because she was a muscular girl because she was training and she felt embarrassed by it, even though people would see her and think, Oh, you're so successful. But she was shot a very introverted kid growing up. And, you know, her story is really interesting in terms of not just being an athlete, but in terms of, when she came back from the Olympics, and this is where a lot of people forget about things like this. When these Olympic athletes are done, a lot of them come back to nothing. And she was, she was bartending. She was drinking. She was doing drugs and she really had to fight, fight her way back from it. And she fought her way back. And actually I touched on it really briefly in the book. And I I think we mentioned it, that you, the WWE was going to be her future. I think a lot of, a lot of us kind of saw that coming. I'm sure you did. And the, the McMahons aren't stupid. They, they know somebody, someone, a talent like that and what she can bring. And like you said, she's very polarizing. And I think she's very, very good in the ring right now. And just not just her skills, but just her mic skills, the way she can take an angle and run with it. She's, she's tremendous. And the way she's interacting with some of the other wrestlers, I haven't seen, I didn't see what happened in, in the, the pay-per-view last night, but I've heard, I've seen it on Twitter and she's t- such a star. And it was, a, for me, it was a real honor to privilege to write that book just really just because of to learn what she went through and not she's not just the UFC star there's just more to her than people think now for Ronda Rousey fans out there listening I'm sure there's many of them there's multiple ways you can get your hands on this book but I'll tell you what go on Google type in Ronda Rousey conquering new ground Amazon and you'll find it right there that's how I did it 
you hit on this, and this is the last question. I'll let you out of here after that. We're both wrestling fans. I could probably have you on on a separate podcast just to talk wrestling. In fact, you know what? I'm going to do that at some point. But you mentioned the job that Ronda Rousey's doing. She's been great. Sunday night, the pay-per-view TLC, she had a pretty good match match with uh, Nia Jax. In fact, she really carried that match, to be honest with you. Made her look good. Then at the very end of the card, she comes out and she interferes in the in the triple threat match between Asuka, Becky Lynch, and Charlotte. Didn't see that coming. Really good angle. Clearly, it's setting up more to come. She's probably, there's, I don't want to say probably, but there is a decent chance that Ronda Rousey, and it will be one full year in the company come next WrestleMania, she may be main event at WrestleMania, whether it's against Becky Lynch or maybe in a triple threat match with Charlotte as well. But there's a good chance. Don't you think that she may main event WrestleMania this coming uh, April? I I think so, yeah. Mainly because she brings that star power that the other ones can't. You can talk about Charlotte and Becky, and I, I enjoy watching them wrestle. They're, they're talented, and they're just they've got the personality for it. But Ronda brings something different, and it's... The WWE knows the following she has. Like I said, she had the built-in UFC following when she came into WWE, and a lot of people thought, from what I understand, a lot of people thought she was going to fail. For whatever, I don't know why, but they just thought she, this wasn't going to be a fit for her. I was skeptical. Her personality. Yeah, I was skeptical, yeah, her, Kevin. She, she doesn't come off at times very entertaining. She, To me, I thought she was a little stiff early on, her, her in-ring stuff, just... She, she would talk, and you kind of look at it thinking, okay, she's new. She's going to have to fight through this. But you knew at the same time they wanted her to move fast. This wasn't going to be, we're going to give you a year to make it to the top of the, of the women's ladder, and that's, that's how it's going to be. Because I think people like Charlotte, she's got the, the flair name is there. Becky's a good wrestler. Asuka's a very good wrestler. But you can't sell the women's division based on those women. And just the way they're really pumping up the women now in terms of really creating that. The women are, are no longer the the sixth match on a pay-per-view. It's like they're, they're at the top of a pay-per-view. Now they had their own pay-per-view recently. Yeah. They it's one of those things. literally last night was at the top of the pay-per-view it was the main event. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't have seen that probably six months to a year ago. Right. You'd watch, you'd watch a pay-per-view and they would be probably you know, second or third from the end. Sometimes it'd be, it would be the one before the, the pay-per-view even started to be in the pre-show, those types of things. And with Rhonda, you can put her on the, and you could, she's marquee now. She's, she was marquee in UFC for for a long time. Her fights, the one doing the research for the book, the fight posters they always had. She was her fights were always the fight the, the marquee event, and it was it there would be her fight whether uh, whoever she I can some of the names escape me right now, but she would be on the poster and the bottom would be two guys' names below that. Which you think about now, it's kind of unheard of that you know the UFC does it occasionally now have a woman headline a fight, but she became the marquee in UFC and. The WWE, they wanted her to be that way, and they've quickly learned that she can be that way, and she's really added a, a whole new element to the women's division, and just, I think she's kind of elevated the game with the other women in the division, too. All right, everyone, Kevin Snow, you can follow him on Twitter at KWSnow. Be sure to check out the Half Hour Hockey Show. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, all those platforms. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Glad to be able to get you on this podcast. It was a fun chat. Was looking forward to it. Appreciate your time, man. Anytime, Pat. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. That boy is good. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. All right, Mike. So Friday night, I had a commitment. And like a moron, I forgot to hit my DVR button and was actually busy for once. So therefore, as we taped this on Monday, I still have not had a chance to see that Thurman Thomas, the football life, that documentary on NFL Network that aired Friday night. Stare the ship on this, man. How was it? It was good. I mean, all, all the football lives are, are really good. Um, I think NFL Network, NFL Films do a great job with those. You know, the ones they had this year, like uh, Bill Cowher, Chris Collinsworth, were really good. Doug Williams one that was on a couple weeks ago was excellent. Thurman Thomas one was really good. I mean, nothing in there that, I mean, a lot of Bills fans didn't already know. Just kind of, you know, 
started his college career. I kind of went right through, you know, the 80 NFL draft. He was on his couch, that whole thing, uh, how he met his wife. And it, it was good. The, the interesting thing about his wife that kind of, and I tweeted about this, is that she was from Buffalo and she went to Oklahoma State and, and he met her before he was drafted. So he's dating a Buffalo girl while in college, gets drafted by the Bills, comes to Buffalo, and he asks his driver, or he says in, in the he, he says in the doc that, oh, I got drafted by Buffalo. You know, I'm thinking I'm going to New York City, MSG, Yankee Stadium. And then I get to Buffalo. I ask my driver, you know, where, you know, how far is, you know, Yankee Stadium or New York? And like, oh, it's about a seven hour drive. And I'm thinking to myself, you're dating a girl from Buffalo. <laughs> you, you don't know this? Like, don't you guys talk? I, that blew me away. That was the only surprise I got. That was the only thing. That was the only surprise I got out of all that. But like, you don't, like, you don't talk. Like, how do you not know you're dating a girl from Buffalo? Ironically, like during the whole time you're dating before the draft, like even you get drafted by Buffalo, she doesn't say to you, "Oh my God, you're getting drafted by my hometown team," and he doesn't say to her, "Well, oh, what should I expect?" Like, what, what happened there? <laughs> what, what, where the, what, what? What? Where? And I tweeted that, and he and he actually responded back to me, and he said. We do much talking back then. Well, obviously not. <laughs> I saw that tweet. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm like, that was the only thing that surprised me that, that I got out of it. And then just every time I watch a documentary or anything about those 90s bills and anytime they show, uh, you know, Super Bowl 25, it just reaffirms just how badly the bills were coached. Those teams were just how badly they were coached. And it just frustrates me more and more every time I think about it or see something about it because that team had no business losing the giants, but they had Belichick the bills had Marv Levy. And that was the difference. Now you're a hardcore bills fan, a very knowledgeable bills fan for people who are more casual fans who know of the bills and they know Thurman right. Thomas and they know he played for the bills, but they might not know a lot about him. Do you think this documentary did you think it painted him in a in a nice light? Do you oh, think it yeah, made absolutely. him more likable to casual fans? Oh yeah, he. I mean, it was painting him in a great light. I mean, they, they, it was centered around his his retirement, his jersey retirement um, on Monday night, and it was they, all those football lights are they always paint them in, in a good light. And they, they did the same thing with him. They got into the bickering bills. They got into you know his losing obviously you know, losing his helmet. They didn't really get into his contentiousness with the with the media. But I mean, they they did a really good job with it. It was good. I mean, it's a good story, you know. About you know, they talk about his kids and his family and and everything. Uh, and it, it was good. I mean, definitely something you should you should watch. And like I said earlier, all the football lives are a must watch if you're a football fan, a casual fan, because they really get into some really good people that you know you just don't hear from anymore. So it, it was it was really good. You know, one of my favorite things about Thurman Thomas is a lot of these guys they come and go. He really truly has set his roots in Buffalo post-playing career. He's heavily yeah. involved. I mean, obviously with the Bills, that goes without saying, but he's a huge Sabres fan. He's tweeting out during Sabre games all the time. He's at a lot of games, and he's involved in a lot of shit that's got nothing to do with sports in Buffalo. So I got a lot of respect for him when it comes to that and how he's stayed in this community. He's really become you know, a pillar of the community, yeah. one of its favorite sons. I know that's a cliche term, but he really has become one of Buffalo's favorite sons. I mean, obviously his wife's from Buffalo, but I mean, I know that he lived in Florida after he played for the for the Dolphins. Yes, but he but, but he moved but he moved back here. Jim Kelly lived in Virginia, moved back here. Steve Tasker never left. I mean, these guys, you know, they 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 they, they come back because they such we know that it's such a great community and they're well loved and respected there. And you know why why would you leave? I mean, you're still treated like you're still playing those guys, which is you know, which is fine. But yeah, why wouldn't they? You know leave, I guess. And it, and it is, it is a testament to Buffalo that they stay here um, year round. And like you were just mentioned about how he's always in the community. I, last year I was last December, I was at a birthday party on a Friday night, stayed over at a hotel in downtown. And I came down to the lobby and there was Thurman Thomas. He had some benefit and he stayed at the same hotel and he was in the lobby, Bill's sweatshirt on, Bill's knit hat on. And I talked to him for a couple of minutes and yeah, he's just, you know, Looks still looks good and still yeah he's part of the community he's just he's a Buffalonian. The community treats these guys 
really good. I've had a couple guys on the show who don't live in Buffalo anymore, but Steve Christie was just on last week. I had Don Beebe, Eric Wood's been on the show, and they rave about Buffalo. I mean, I, I feel like to some extent, athletes are always going to say whatever city they play in. They got the best fans or, you know, they treat us great. But yeah. I, you get the sense that when these guys talk that they, they truly believe it, at least most of them do anyway. You know what I mean? My family's from there, is from Buffalo originally. Uh, my parents born and raised. I was born there, lived there for a little bit. Um, I'm back there quite often. It is, there is something about it that when, when you're there, you, there's a sense of togetherness in that community, doesn't matter where you live, that it, it is a fun place to live. And, you know, people complain, oh, the, 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 the narrative with the weather, it's what, four months out of the year? Right. I mean, really, it's only four months out of the year. But once you get into spring and summer and fall in Western New York, Buffalo, Rochester, whatever, there isn't a better place. I mean, there isn't a better place to live. I mean, where you are now, I, I want to be, you know, there now where you are. But from, yeah, but, but from April, it's only in the winter, bro. I'm telling you, the summertime, right. it's so overrated in the summer. I oh, can't stand no, I, it more in the summer. It, it's, yeah, I was there and I was in Orlando in June and I just wanted to hang myself. I'm like, yeah, you people, know, it's awful. And um, yeah, but no, I mean, there's that there is that sense of togetherness and pride in being a Buffalonian and being in Buffalo. Well, it's a city full of pride. And I'll tell you what, you need it to is. have a lot of pride in this team to have sat through that game on Sunday. Buffalo oh. beat Detroit 14, 13. It's a game that most deem meaningless. Let's face it. It was kind of meaningless at this point in the season. Let me ask you this. Are you more of a, it's good to taste that W or are you more of a shit, man? That win just costs us four slots in the draft come April. What type of guy are you right now at this point of the season? Listen, I, I, I thought that's not thing I tweeted out yesterday. This season was about getting Josh Allen confidence and seeing if he can develop into a, a quarterback. And he's doing that and he's getting that confidence. It doesn't matter where you pick in the NFL. It does not matter. What matters is who's making the picks and who are they picking? Are they getting good value? The Steelers and the Ravens pick in the 20s every year and they find starters every year. Yep. Good players every year where they pick. The Bills found their quarterback. I don't care where they pick this year. It's probably going to be in the top 10, which is great, but they have so many picks and they have a general manager who I think knows what he's doing. They can move up. They can move down. They'll find a guy. It should not matter. Draft status right now should not matter at all because the Bills found their quarterback. You only worry about that if you need a quarterback and if there's a good one coming out. And the Bills still had a crappy draft pick last year and they found a way to get up to the seventh pick and oh by the way get another middle linebacker out of it so it doesn't matter where you're picking it doesn't matter you want them to win you want them to gain confidence and get confidence and they're doing that with each win and they have two games left two winnable games I, I still think these are two winnable games for them so it doesn't matter where they pick yeah I, I completely agree I'm not even joking when I say this so the rosters that were out there Sunday, that whole vibe of the game, two teams with nothing to play for, at least when it comes to playoff aspirations anyway, that, that felt like a preseason game. It felt like that annual Buffalo plays Detroit, yeah. usually on a Thursday night preseason yeah. game. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was it was, it was was a preseason light for sure, uh, especially with two teams that have nothing really to play for. The Bills did this again yesterday with, I think, six undrafted rookies playing in the game six so there you go again it doesn't matter where you're picking it's who's getting the players and obviously this front office is doing a good job of finding talent that's not that's undrafted and not you know not big name players i think matthew fairburn wrote in the athletic yesterday or this year when he shadowed bean and joe sean to the lsu alabama game yep I he said that. last yeah yeah last year when they went they didn't draft anybody from either team, but they end up getting three players undrafted onto the into training camp. One of them being Robert Foster. Hello. Yeah, so, so we don't spend all our time talking about Josh Allen because that's just so easy to do. It happens it's so right. easily. I wanna yeah. I wanna talk about a couple other things. All right. <laughs> Let's change gears. Yeah. I don't want to talk about Josh yeah. Allen right now. I think this was Jordan Poyer's best game of the year. I don't think he's played well this year. I don't know how much of it is that he played so much better than most thought he would last year, that maybe he was due for a little bit of a letdown this year. I don't know how much of it may be because of the stuff that's happened off the field. I mean, it's no secret if you follow Twitter or Instagram that him and his wife went through some shit this offseason. Maybe that got into his head a little bit. I have no idea, but all I know is the guy has had 
at least a handful of games this year that were not good. He's played good a couple times too, but he has not been consistent. Anyway, big tackles, a couple big hits. I thought he looked really good in coverage. Was this as good as you've seen from Jordan Player this year? Definitely best game of the year uh, so far. He he he's, he's he was that baseball player who hit 345, 40 home runs, and then the following year tapered down to like maybe 290 and 25 home runs. That's kind of where I, I see him. Like he wasn't as good as he was last year. I think now you're you start, you kind of leveled off this year. But yesterday was a standout game for him. He was all over the place. And Shaq Lawson, too, played really well. As did Lorenzo Alexander. I mean, he's playing a little bit of a different role, too, with Milano gone. This guy's fucking versatile, man. He's making big plays. They At this point, I was like, all right, well, maybe they're going to bring him back for another year. At this point now, they fucking better bring him back. They they need to bring him back. Yeah. He's still they a have, good they, football they, player. You can line him up. and He's shown that you can line him up anywhere in the front seven, and he'll make a play. Anywhere in the front seven, he'll make a play. Yeah, inside, outside, interior line on the edge, he'll he'll make a play. I'll tell you, he's reached that point to me where there's guys that you know used to play for the Bills. Fred Jackson comes to mind immediately. Where they're so popular that they're always going to have a home in Buffalo, even if they don't live there. You know what I mean? Where you're never yeah. going to pay for a meal or, for, or a drink. I think Lorenzo Alexander has just about reached that status. I think he's well liked and. In the locker room with the fans, and most importantly, yep. he's still really productive on the field. Conversely, though, man, I'll tell you, Jadavius White for a second straight Sunday. I thought he yeah. had a pretty rough afternoon. Him and Charles Clay, those yep. are in my notes. I mean, listen, dude, Charles Clay, his Bills career can't fucking it can't end soon enough. Zero catches, zero, one target. Quick thoughts on each. He to me is not even worth discussing because he's gone and he's just been so bad. That you know, he he's like the last one on the Doug Whaley tree that's ready to get lopped off, and I think he's he's gone. Uh, Tredavious White, he's still their best corner. Last two weeks struggled. I mean, he got he got pretty lit up in the first half by by Galladay. Came on a little, settled down a little in the second half, but yeah, he's definitely something to keep an eye on going in, going in next week. You know, New England, you know, with Edelman now back and Hogan. Um, now they have Josh Gordon. You know, I mean, Gordon was there the first time they played, but now, now Gordon's a little more comfortable. So we're going to see you know, what they do with White. But yeah, yesterday, again, he struggled a little bit. Maybe he's just, he's just in a slump. I mean, he's the second year. These corners, when they get beat, the microscope gets, you know, spotlight gets a little bigger. Um, so I don't, I, I'm still not too worried about him. He's still their best corner. He, one of the best corners in the league. Uh, he'll be he'll be fine. But yeah, it's definitely a little eyebrow raising, like, you know, what's, what's going on here? But I think in the long run, he'll be fine. Yeah, I agree. You just said, Charles eyebrow. Clay, just on that. Charles Clay's a mess. I mean, he's just a mess. Nah, he's gone. He's he's, just, it's not even worth it. You, you said it perfect. It. He's not even worth the discussion. That's not even, you know, at the end of the season, we might go run through positions and say, well, who might stay, who might go. I, that's a, that's a five that's second no discussion. Brainer. That's a five yeah, second no discussion. Yeah. I'll tell you, you said eyebrow raiser a minute ago. It's a repeat for me of last week. Robert Foster Came up huge again. It's time, if you haven't already, it's time for people to start taking this dude seriously. Four for 108 and a touchdown on Sunday. He's went for 108, 104, 94, and 105 over the last mm-hmm. five games. He's putting fucking numbers up, man. It's yep. undeniable at this point. It's not a fluke anymore. It can't be a fluke. No, it, it's not. Ever since he came back, when they released him, he came back. He's been a different player. Obviously a hard worker. He's running good routes. Tracking the ball better, catching the ball, and if you're and if you know if you're a fancy a daily fancy player like those fan duels or DraftKings, he's a good value pick. He's probably about forty five hundred dollars, five thousand. He's a good value pick if you're playing daily fantasy because he's putting up numbers and he's going to continue to put up numbers because now he's going against a new a New England secondary not that great. Then against Miami, home game where he played well against Miami the first time you know first time around. So, yeah, Foster's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. He's definitely earned a spot on this roster for next year. I'm not sure if he's a wide receiver one, but he's definitely a two or a solid three uh, for them, the him and Zay Jones, and you just build you know, receivers around those two. I think they finally found their, their two set receivers for, ne- for next year. Yeah, no question about it, man. I, I don't think Robert Foster's emergence is going to preclude them from going out and trying to find a no, number one yes. in free agency or a trade or the draft. But yeah. it's very good to know that you got that burner down the field who can make For some sure. plays. And he, yeah. He's got a nice future with this. Yeah. Team. All right. Before we do, before we switch gears, 
I do want to ask you this about Josh Allen, okay? I don't want to talk so much about his game. He had a decent game passing. He kind of got held in check on the ground because they were spying on him a lot, but he did have that really nice run for the touchdown. And I was personally more impressed that it seems to me he's starting to throw the football away a little more as opposed mm-hmm. to running towards the sideline and throwing the ball across his body to the middle of the field with some of these, you know, awful interceptions like he's done a couple times this year. I already mm-hmm. know what you're going to say about Josh Allen. Probably the same thing that I would say. So I don't want to spend time really talking about his performance. We know how he played. I do want to say this, okay? You're a Twitter guy. You were involved in some discussions during and after the game, including Joe, who has the running with Joe segment. I have him on, you know, not every week, but a lot of the times. And he's a big Tyrod Taylor fan, blah, 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 blah. Why right. are the Tyrod Taylor versus Josh Allen comparisons and debates still going as strong as they are? At least, maybe it's only me who sees it, but I see it every freaking week. If Josh Allen plays great, well, Tyrod uses, you know, he didn't do anything different than Tyrod. Josh Allen plays bad. Same fucking thing with Tyrod Taylor. I don't know about you, man. I'm sick of the comparisons because I know that they could both run and make plays with their legs, but that's where it ends for me. They are not similar players not as even, far as I'm Not concerned. even close. Josh Allen takes chances. Tyrod Taylor didn't. Yeah. Josh Allen has hit Tyrod Taylor's ceiling in his eighth, ninth start. It took Tyrod Taylor three years to get to this status. And Josh Allen already hit it. And the reason why people are comparing Tyrod Taylor and this whole thing keeps coming up is because there's this really weird narrative and this really weird thinking out there that Tyrod Taylor, quote unquote, led the Bills to the playoffs last year. He, he did? Like, really? No, he did. He, 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 he didn't do anything of the sort. He barely got them to a, a, a nine-win season. Andy Dalton let the Bills to the playoffs last year, if, if we're being honest. And as great as that was, and as fun as that was last New Year's Eve, that was Andy Dalton. That was a crazy play that got the Bills in the playoffs. You go look at the, the mid-season last year of Tyrod Taylor against the Saints and um, another game before. He was just awful. He was just not good. And the Bills, Tyrod Taylor hit, hit, hit his ceiling with the Bills last year. Nine wins, quote-unquote, led them to the playoffs. Got no playoff game. And he was just not, he was just not good. No, he's not and good when I, mean not, when I mean not good, I mean he's, the Bills want to do better than that. And the Bills say, you know what? We want to do better than Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor was fun. He's a good guy. Great guy in the community. I liked him as a person. I just think he was a good quarterback. I just think, eh, he's not what he, Bills can do better. So the Bills attempted, okay, let's do better than Tyrod Taylor. And then the backlash of, who they drafted and how they this went down, it just blew people. I don't know. It's like it's like it's like the Bills traded a guy who led them to get the twelve win seasons and a Super Bowl appearance. That's how this is. People are acting. He got a fair shake around here. He started for three years. He he was on a team with a prime Lashawn McCoy, Sammy Watkins, Marquise Goodwin, Chris Hogan, Charles Clay, and nothing, nothing. The Bills. You knew this was coming when McDermott and Bean came in. That this was going to happen. That Tyrod Taylor was going to be gone. And they did it. I don't want to hear about Tyrod Taylor. I, I don't care about him anymore. He's a good person. He's a good guy. He's great in the community. But enough's enough. Just, it, it has to stop. I Josh, Allen, Josh Allen is going to be, I think, a good quarterback. And like I said, he's already hit Tyrod Taylor's ceiling in his eighth start. If this is Josh Allen's floor, he's only going to get better. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hate the comparisons because, again, I, I don't think they're the same type of player at all. You take Tyrod, and may, let's say you have the Chicago Bear level defense. You have that level defense. You run the ball. He's going to win you 10-11 games because all you want to do is not lose the game. You want to run the ball, right. move the change a little bit, and rely on the defense. I look at Josh Allen, and ceiling-wise, I kind of see the Steelers, all right? Big Ben, those type of plays that he makes— Prolonging right. plays. I mean, obviously, Josh Allen runs a lot better, but he don't throw, and he doesn't have that accuracy that Big Ben does. At least not right now. But my point is, he's the kind of guy you could go out and you could win a 35-31 game with Josh Allen as your quarterback. You ain't winning no 35-31 game with Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback. No, and, and, and it's I mean, look, at Tyrod Taylor threw a pretty deep ball. He was accurate. He did protect the ball. He, there was a lot of good things about Tyrod, uh, Tyrod Taylor. And I'm not going to – I don't want to sit here and, you know, just come off as a complete – 
basher. I, I'm just more. Yeah, but it's like a it's like a pitcher with a great curveball who won't throw it in a big spot. You know what I mean? He just right, exactly. Won't throw right, exactly. And he and I, I look back at the one season where he was really good. The Rex Ryan's first year, the that 2015 season when he was like the Bills offense averaged like 25. After they fired Greg Roman, Anthony Lynn took over. They averaged like 25 points a game, and they they were rolling. But the defense was so bad. You know, Rex Ryan's defenses when he was here were, were just terrible. And I, I don't want to just kill Tyra because he was actually good that year. But like you said, it just wasn't enough. It just it was never enough. He would take you so far, and then he just wouldn't either throw it. He never had a a, a game winning drive that I can re- really remember. Yeah, the defenses were bad. But it just seemed like it just he he just hit a ceiling when he was here. So before we get out of here, I want to do something new, a new little feature to our segment that we do. Going to call this the Nietzsche interest scale. What I'm going to do is present to you a series of topics, and I want you to rank them, scoring between one and ten. If you want to use fractions too, that's fine. Yeah, between a one and ten, how much what I say interests you. And maybe add a quick comment or two, nothing, you know, too lengthy or serious. So let's just get right to it. Let me start. Philip Rivers finally winning in Kansas City last Thursday and exercising those demons. Uh, 10. Nice, 10. Okay, that big. Because he's, he's, he's really good. He's an MVP. He's, he's a legitimate MVP candidate right now. Yeah, for sure. No question about it. What about the Patriots, dude? They lose to the Steelers. It's their fifth loss of the season. No chance to be at the number one seed in the AFC, and it's the first time in eight years that they won't win at least 12 games. By the way, holy shit, what a fucking stat that is. Eight years in a row, they won at least 12 games. Anyway, now they got five losses. What's your interest uh, on that? About a seven, only because, like you said, the stats an eight-year eight year streak of 12, in, 12 wins in a row, but they're still the Patriots. Until I see them lose in the playoffs, they're not going to be out of it. Even if they lose in the playoffs, I'm still going to think they'll find a way into the Super Bowl because <laughs> they're just always, they're always around. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, it, it, that doesn't matter until it matters. So uh, they're, they'll be fine until they're not. Cleveland Browns are going to be a major, major problem for a lot of AFC teams starting in 2019. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm about a 15 on this. I love I love their rebuild. I love Baker Mayfield. They are so loaded with talent on both sides of the ball. It's like spewing out of the television when you watch them. If they if they land the coaching hire and the offensive coordinator hire for next season, that's an eleven win team next year easily. Packers missing the playoffs in consecutive seasons for the first time since two thousand five two thousand six. Uh, that's big because Rodgers is not getting any younger. To the Packers, they always make the playoffs. So that that's an interesting story. That's something to watch. Who would they get for the coach? I th- wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. Obviously, I, I know nothing. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if they sniff around uh, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. Hmm. I just, I'm just getting that. I, I'm getting that vibe. That'd be huge. The, be huge. The Drake versus Kanye West beef. <sighs> okay. Uh, I got two, a one. Maybe maybe a one. We'll say one and a half. Yeah, you don't like, who care. Like who cares? <laughs> back, back, back in my day, rap rap feuds ended in violence and death. So <laughs> this is just Twitter nonsense. Who cares? Yeah, who gives a shit? Yankees re-signed J. A. Happ to a two-year deal with a vested option for a third. Big. That that's about nine and a half. The Yankees fan, obviously, uh, they got the rotation is now set. They have, they got the guy who's pitching the division, knows the division. Next now is we'll get Manny Machado. Let's go. Second last one here, Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, both still out there as free agents past the midpoint of December. By the way, Manny's supposed to be meeting with the Yankees on Wednesday. It's interesting that NBA free agency, NFL free agency starts and finishes within like three hours. It's like it just zooms right through. Right. MLB, MLB free agency, it, it really starts the day after the World Series is over, like that November 1st. It, it starts. These guys just take their time, patient. You know, they, then I, I like that. It's because these things don't happen right after that. So you, it's a whole off season of this. I think they get done. I think both get done before Christmas. I think this week, Harper and Machado get signed and done. I think we both think that 
Manny's going to end up with the Yankees. So I think Machado. I think Machado to the Harper? Yankees. Harper to the Phillies. Hmm. That'd be big. That'd be big for Philly for sure. Last one mm-hmm. here. UB Hoops ranked 14th in the country right now. Visiting Syracuse tonight, Tuesday night. Uh big. I, I, this is UB um, is really really good. How they play against that zone is be very interesting. It's a big. It's a tough game. Even though Syracuse lost to Old Dominion, uh, Syracuse struggles offensively. Their defense is really good. Um, this will be UB's toughest opponent opponent until they get to probably the NCAA tournament. It'd be nice for UB to win it for bragging rights, but I just I, I just think Syracuse in the end will find a way to win because I think defensively they're they're really good. Close game, but I think UB is a be a team that can play into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, which would be a Sweet 16, maybe even a Elite Eight. They're that good. This team is not. A joke. They are legit, legit contenders nationally. They're gonna make a deep run in the tournament. They're good and they're well coached. But I think Syracuse beats a throw. Nietzsche interest scale. You know what? I like doing that, man. We get to cover a lot of different things besides just Buffalo Bills or Buffalo Sports. That was pretty cool. Yeah. All right, man. Follow Mike on Twitter at MA Nietzsche. Good looks, bro, man. Thanks a lot. All right. <laughs> All right, that is a wrap. Another episode in the books. Big thank you again to Kevin Snow from the Half Hour Hockey Show for coming on. I'll tell you what, the job that him and Kevin Sylvester do on the Half Hour Hockey Show is really good. Great Sabres talk. Just, man, great guest. If you're a Sabres fan, you got to check it out. It's a great show. Well, thanks again, Kevin. Thanks as well, Michael Nietzsche. Nietzsche nails it. Really enjoyed doing that segment. We've done it a few times now. Hopefully we'll do it a lot more in the future. Speaking of the future, coming up on Friday's show, I got the boys from the 716 Force Podcast. I've talked about them on this show before. I'm a big fan of what they do. Not just for Bills and Sabres talk, but they also have Bandits, Buffalo Buttes talk. They have all kinds of topics on their show that you're not going to hear about on some of these many other podcasts. So go check them out. They'll be on the show this Friday. And guys, if you haven't done so already, I don't know what the fuck is even wrong with you at this point. I mean, I literally keep saying it every single week. If you have Apple Podcasts or iTunes, subscribe to this podcast. It's so ridiculously quick, easy, and free. All you got to do is open up your iPhone, click that Apple Podcast app, hit the search button, type in Moranalytics Podcast. It comes up. Just hit the subscribe button. That's it. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. You don't have to do anything else. Play them and keep them. Play them and delete them afterwards. Doesn't matter. If you don't have Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you can also subscribe on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe rest of the week. Get some of that last-minute Christmas shopping done. Talk to you guys again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Bye. From self-help books to meditation, we work hard to find peace of mind. Xfinity Home helps you rest easy with a total home security solution. Installed by experts and powered by secure and reliable Xfinity Wi-Fi, you'll get 24-7 professional monitoring with fast response times and real-time alerts, like when doors and windows are opened. Rest easier with Xfinity Home. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash home security. Restrictions apply. Residential customers only. Requires compatible high-speed internet. Professional installation required.